much miss claudia that's so sweet mm. yeah my birthday's on the 18th and uh yeah i i i love october because of halloween i'm a halloween girl by nature and my birthday and it's fall i mean there's like what what's not to love it's fabulous <laughs> and you know the topic you know i'm talking about is a love what is a topic that I love, I love about, well, I'm a Scorpio. So we Scorpios like everything that is obscure and mysterious. And like uh, uh, um, Friday the 13th, if that's my day, I love it as well. That's the afterlife. But it's also a topic that you're always wondering or you're always questioning and you're always, even though 
uh, we want to understand and believe that there's a oneness and that we live forever regardless of time and space. Well, on the other hand, we don't know what we don't know. And so we love when your guides come to rescue us and tell us a little bit about this kind of thing. Well, that's very sweet again. Um, yeah, they have some really interesting information today. And um, as usual, a lot of it because, you know, I can go on chatting forever. And I, I attracted master teachers and guides who could do the same thing. So together we just keep on talking. But, um, yeah, I love Friday the 13th. It has always been my good luck day. And this proves it because here I am on this wonderful radio show that I just so dearly love, and I get to spend my time with everybody. It's fabulous. Plus, tomorrow we have the Newman um, eclipse, the solar eclipse, um, the annular. So, and guess what it's in? Libra. So, yeah, there's a whole lot going on right now. Um, I don't think I would be able to tackle all of the um, different aspects of death in our conversation today. Um, the, the subject of death, dying, and the afterlife is just so broad. It's, it's, I mean, we could take it in so many different directions. Um, so what I kind of decided to do was to focus on just three areas that I feel are really, really super important for people to understand. Um, is that okay with you, Ms. Claudia? Yeah, of course. And we, and as you know, we have people that are waiting also to talk to you. So I think it's a marvelous idea. Good, good, good. I would love to talk to everybody as well. And I'm going to make sure that I get to speak to everybody today. I'll, I will, even if we have to stay just a few minutes over our, our time slot. Um, okay, so let's start because, you know, that's what we should do before it gets any later. Um, so I started out with a quote that I made. I also had some quotes from other people, but I ended up taking them out um, just to be able to make sure that everybody got a chance to talk to me um, and get a little reading. But this quote I left in because it's from me. So I said, life is the state of being that requires a vehicle or a container of sorts to transport the soul across the experience of time. I really enjoyed that. I got that in meditation when I was meditating on this subject. So, okay, here we go. The vehicle or physical body requires the proper flow. Whoops, I don't have my glasses. Y'all got to wait a second here. I need glasses these days. That's the bad, bad side of birthdays. <laughs> Let's try this again. The vehicle or physical body requires the proper flow of life force energy and some other things to live, like water and air, food, willpower. Once these things no longer sustain the body, it dies and life force no longer flows through it. And this is a pretty simplistic view of life and death. But what we do with the gifts of life and death can make all of the difference in the world as to how we experience the passage of time. 
And of course, this last sentence presupposes that in death, one also experiences some type of passing time. And from what I've experienced as a psychic and from speaking with my guides, I think that's really true. Although that sense of time can be experienced quite differently from how we understand it here on Earth. The physical body has a brain that processes reality for us, helps us to understand life, whereas the mind is neither physical nor fully spiritual, but a mix of the two, including the level of consciousness that we exercise. Thus, it helps us to make sense of life and the world while enabling us to learn more of who we are in this lifetime and beyond. The soul is a much larger and more complex aspect of consciousness that helps us to understand and unite with what I'll call the eternal self. Only a small part of the soul actually incarnates into the physical body, and it recognizes itself in the body, kind of like how we recognize ourselves in our dreams. Even if in said dream, we play a different role or look different than we normally do in our waking life. Death is a transition then between life and the afterlife. There's a state of being prior to life, one during life itself, and then one after life. We refer to the first and the last state of being as the existence of the soul. When looking at things from the perspective of eternity, one could then say that life in a body is actually the anomaly because the longer phase of time is spent in the afterlife. I think that's really interesting. When we enter into life, the soul, let's say, bonds with the physical body, our container. Whereas when we die, And over the process of heading into death, the energetic bonds to the body loosen and finally expire. Thus, we die to the small sense of self we've known, and we enter into the afterlife and into more fully understanding and then becoming that soul again over the process of eternal time. After someone like a friend or relative has been dead for a while, they tend not to visit the living from their most recent life as often as before because they are refocused on other things and have gained some distance from their lifetime here as person X. They've gained distance in terms of dimensional location, time, and perhaps actual distance, although I don't really know about this one for sure. My mother used to visit me once after, oops, sorry, often after she first passed away. But now, a decade later, I rarely see her. I mainly only ever catch a fleeting flyby of her presence these days. She's very aware and in what I call an exploration afterlife. And she will do that for around 30 or 40 Earth years after her death as my mother, before entering an on and off sleep cycle until her next lifetime. Most afterlife experiences last for a while before fading into a sleep-like state, which is a time of healing, integration, and deep attunement to self. And you have to put that self in capital letters, like all caps, right? 
the soul or the core self is what I'm speaking of here. And isn't that just like in life? We sleep on a physical level because such rest provides the same things and is an echo of the same period experienced in the afterlife. Now, atheists and people who deeply believe that nothing happens after death, e.g. they think that their consciousness just simply dissolves, when coupled with the arising theme of other past death experiences in which there was no afterlife, will do things in reverse. They'll end up sleeping first and then awaken in time for their next incarnational cycle, usually a bit before. And we'll have to talk about that in a future radio show. So the afterlife is often set to function much like Earth does, like Earth life does. It is what we make of it. It's based on core beliefs from one's current lifetime and what is remembered of core beliefs from past afterlife. And such memories can arise upon death or shortly before or shortly thereafter death. One's soul memory of past afterlifes thus influences what one experiences during and after death. This is part of how karma plays into the afterlife process. From the current lifetime's core belief, and this is not to be confused with temporary beliefs or fears or worries, but from beliefs that go very, very deep because they've been repeated over many lifetimes. Since past deaths can also run in themes like lifetimes do, a person will in some respects enter into the state that is most familiar based on those past experiences and belief systems, the core belief systems, again but also one based in the needs of the lifetime they are exiting. So it's kind of like fulfilling the final need of that lifetime. So here's an example. If you are a very hard worker, and here I'm going to say like an actual workaholic in your current life or in the current life, and you were that workaholic because it was your very nature, not because you were worked like a dog by someone, then upon your death, you'd have soul memories arise of past afterlives filled with education, exploration, or other themes of soul growth type work. And then your new afterlife would be forged around that. And this is what my guides tell me. So, Claudia, I think that at this point it would be kind of a good idea to take a call. But I want to make sure that that last part was kind of clear first. So you have core beliefs from ingrained past lifetimes, ingrained past death experiences, and ingrained past um, afterlife experiences. And those kind of all converge with the exit of this lifetime to create the let's say, new afterlife that you'll experience once you pass on. And I found that really interesting. It's not just like one simple thing. It's a conglomerate of several things. And I'll tell you, God, I have been shown that so many times. Like 
wait till you hear about the birth process, which again, we will do in a future radio show. But oh my God, there's so much to that. So Claudia, let's take a moment and let's take some callers. Okay, so let's start with Mary. And Mary, uh, just we want to congratulate you today for your birthday, and we hope you have a beautiful one starting with this reading. Oh, thank you, Claudia. Uh, can you hear me? Hey, Mary. Hey, hey, how Sophie. are you? Happy um, birthday. Thank you so much. I'm I'm so grateful to be able to talk to you today. Um, I uh, I'm I'm in distress. Uh, I have been thinking all week of what I was going to ask you, and uh, you probably already know. I was going to ask you what's going to happen with Joe and me. And last time we talked, you said just to take it slow and easy and get to know each other again by friends and don't push anything, which is what I've been doing. And we've been communicating, like, on Facebook Messenger and things like that. And and um, things have been good, slow and easy. And he just got back from a month-long trip a few days ago. And so today's my birthday. So uh, was wait, I have been waiting all day for him to call me, like he did last year, and sing happy birthday and ask me where I would like to go to lunch. Well, that hasn't happened, and what he did was this morning early, he private messaged me on Facebook, and he just said, happy birthday. That's it. And uh, clearly I'm upset over it, and is that all that's going to be? Is that all it's going to be is just happy birthday? And what's eventually going to happen with me and him is there does okay so one of the things i want to say is that he was away for a while and he is trying to reintegrate back into um his regular life and he um is not feeling up to par Um, it comes across to me as he's feeling maybe a bit protective of himself or maybe he is um, feeling ill in some way, um, but he's not fully himself. So the first thing I want to say is give him a little slack. But I also want to say that, you know, it's not a good thing for for people, you know, that we are close to to kind of forget our our days, but it does happen. And you know, every so often we just have to kind of give somebody a pass. And this is one of those times um it's coming across to me to just give him a pass. I want to speak to you about something that the guides are showing me as you're asking me your questions, honey. There is an eagerness in your eyes. There's an energetic um, eagerness and excitement that flows out from you uh, when you get to talk to him and when you get um, to spend some time with him. And that's wonderful. You know what? I mean, <laughs> most of us would love to experience that in somebody that that we know just to have them light up 
because we walk into a room. It's really wonderful. And I want you to hear that piece first. But I also want to say that since he comes across to me and has for a while as healing from a other relationship or kind of fragile that sometimes he doesn't perceive that lighting up that you do as somebody else might perceive it meaning sometimes he perceives it as oh god here you know she's she's expecting more or she's expecting a lot and 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 that comes across as kind of pressure to him now, sweetheart, I'm going to say to you that it's an extremely difficult thing for us to control our um, energy as it's flowing or the light that enters our eyes. And I am not in any way, shape, or form saying to you to change that. That's who you are. You should light up. We should all light up when we get to see people that we truly enjoy. And if you have an opportunity to kind of talk to him about that, about how it lights you up to be with people you enjoy, like him and Betty Jo and Don Jr. or whomever, right? Like just toss a couple of names in there. And that, that's something that really brings warmth to your heart. It might help settle him down a little bit. I also want to say to you that, as always, there are two people in a situation, and he has to be able to rise up to meet you. He has to be able to let go of his past enough to be able to accept the beautiful present and the beautiful potential future he has staring him in the face. And sometimes people are not so good at doing that, especially as they get older. So I'm not saying that you don't have a chance with him. I believe you do. I have always believed you do. But what I am saying is that he is in kind of a weird place at the moment. And, you know, you you are what you are. And... While that should not explanation, it might help a little bit in this case to explain to him that it's your nature to light up because it touches your heart and it's not just with him. Does that help you? Uh, yes, I think so. Um what do I do? Do I reach out so, to him? I mean, I'd love to hear him today on my birthday, but just a, te- a message that says happy birthday, I mean, do I respond to that? Well, yeah, I would respond to that, you know, and I would respond with, with graciousness, you know, and gratitude. He didn't have to even acknowledge it, but he did. So that's how I would personally do it. I'm not saying that's how you have to do it. I'm just saying that's how I would personally do it. And then, you know, hey, is there any chance that I might see you soon? Something simple. But I would also say don't expect much from him today. So maybe in a couple of days, but don't expect, expect much from him today, honey. And I'm sorry because I know that's hard on your heart. And I wish I had better news for you. 
that okay, means that I'm happy that I got to speak to you. And I want to say to you that around birthdays, there is a 60-day open window. So that's 30 days before a birthday and 30 days after a birthday to be able to manifest the things that you want. And what I would suggest is taking this opportunity to state to the universe that you would like a love that is beautiful, a love relationship that is beautiful and fulfilling and that brings joy to your heart and that you will be open to that and then leave it blank and let the universe pop in the very best person that they can find for you. Okay? And if that's him, that's great. There you go. Yeah, because yeah, I want it to be him. I'm, I'm, I really want it to be him. I know you do, sweetheart. But sometimes other packages have different ribbons and bows and are just as fantastic, and we just aren't open to it until we are. Okay. I'm not saying that this is not going to happen. I am just saying... I want to give you an alternative so that you can broaden your mind and open yourself to other opportunities. Well, thank you. I, I, okay. I, I don't know. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, darling. Have a wonderful, happy birthday, and try to be at peace with all of this, okay? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. So... Ms. Claudia, I'm going to kind of continue on um, and come back to the next caller in a few minutes, if that's okay. That's because I kind of want to get into a... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I kind of want to get into a little bit of religion for a moment. So sorry, but this is not any particular re- religion, although it's going to start off being a little bit particular. But give me a moment. Please stay with me because this may be something that really changes your reality on a good way, on a good way. So on a religious level, if you are Christian, for example, and that religion is one of your core beliefs, meaning you've also lived many lives as a Christian previously, and upon your death, memories of several or many, many Christian-type afterlives arise, then that's what you're going to get to experience. Simply put, you decide on a soul level how your afterlife will be. This is both benevolent and necessary. The concept of an outer judge-type being is not so necessary because your innate divine self is the judge. Your soul self knows all of your thoughts, all of your desires, your actions, your deeds, your words, your energy, etc. And it knows all of these things in context to how they happened, why they happened, when they happened, where they happened, what was going on, what was going on in you, all of that. So that part of you that is always connected to part of the divine decides how your afterlife will be. That part that is the truest part of your being that lies beyond description and current understanding, that part that is divine and is one with the actual divine, that's the part that decides. So if you want to think of it as being judged, that's fine, but not from an external source. That said, if you are very, very religious, 
Put another couple of berries in there. And religion is part of your core beliefs. And you've already had many religiously based afterlife experiences, meaning it's all part of that afterlife theme. Then your afterlife will be more like where there are gates to pass and an external judge and a need to maybe experience what you think you have, quote unquote, earned. So let's discuss this for a moment. Heaven exists for those who need that experience and have that theme and core belief. It's a real thing. And you'll be there. The other option, hell, is an actual rarity. And let's really talk about this for a moment. It's a temporary state of being that one might feel has to occur for some reason, meaning that one won't be in that state or wouldn't be in that state for very long if they actually even found themselves there at all. Because it's not really a place. It's not real. This is a true deviation, in some sense, from what I've already described, because it's not about the core belief. Or I should say, because it is about the core belief of the soul. I said that backwards. I apologize. I'm a little dyslexic sometimes. (laughs) It is about the core belief of the soul, or a core belief, not the core belief that runs the religion, or even the simple belief that often runs an individual's single lifetime. So don't mix these guys up like I just did. There are three things to know about this. Number one, few people actually really believe in hell because they already know subconsciously and on a soul level that it doesn't exist or that it absolutely doesn't exist at all as described. Number two, subconscious understanding doesn't always filter into the actual conscious mind, so don't expect it to be there if you do think hell might exist. And the conscious mind should not be confused with the term consciousness. These are two separate things. And number three, the universe or the divine is far more benevolent than religion thinks it is. And this is a perfect example of how the major religions, all of them, got it wrong. The divine doesn't want you to experience such things. It doesn't want you in eternal torture. But it may oblige you for a very short period if your soul, for whatever reason, seems to require it, which is so extremely rare and usually only comes from an extreme situation. Beyond my guides helping me to understand that hell and the devil doesn't exist, how do I know that this concept of it not existing is really true? Well, let's start with eternity itself and things, quote-unquote, lasting for eternity. These are very hard concepts for humans or the finite to grasp, but which lie at the base of these concepts of hell. The concept of infinity is based around both time and dimension. Our concept of life is similarly based. We have this planet to live on and many others throughout the universe of this time and this particular dimension. From there, many other planes of existence or dimensional realities exist. 
In this dimension, there are containers for everything. It's like the container store. The soul in part enters into its container, the human body, for the experience we call life. The energy that makes up a worm enters into the worm container. The tree enters into its tree container. The planet's energy exists inside its planetary container, and a universe exists inside its container. These things are all finite because they all exist on the material level. Things like the soul, the divine, and the length of existence of the nature of universes in actuality are infinite. While our body, the mind we use while in a body, and this particular universal structure that we currently reside in on Earth, while orbiting both the sun and the center of our galaxy, are not eternal. Our Earth, sun, galaxy, and the part of the universe that our galaxy revolves around will all pass away in time. Nothing material existing in this reality that we see and know of as our universe, with all the stars, planets, globular clusters, and supernovae, will last forever. It's finite because it's designed by nature to pass away. Is eternal in the sense of this particular universe in which we all currently reside is not its structure, but its nature or energy. There will always be a quote-unquote universe or many universes in which life exists spanning the whole of eternity, be they multiple, parallel, or other kinds of universes. This will never end. It is eternal and is the core aspect of life itself. Life arises inside the container we call the universe, and such universes will always be, each one arising and evolving into the next. By understanding this model, we can begin to see that simple conceptual states like hell cannot be part of eternity as we've been led to believe for one simple reason, life. Life itself is created to be abundant and to exist in benevolent conditions. It doesn't arise inside containers that can't support it. It arises because the perfect conditions exist for it to do so. And it easily arises, which is benevolence in action. It also exists in tremendous variety. It flourishes for a time and then is recycled. We absolutely know these truths because the universe has shown us this scientifically again and again and has shown us how diverse it is and that it makes use of every little tiny atom, every little thing over and over again. For example, Carl Sagan's a a wonderful but passed on deceased um, uh, astrophysicist. His famous phrase, we are stardust, stardust isn't just a pretty sentiment. The atoms, carbon, and iron inside our bodies were once formed inside stars, supernovae, and stellar collisions. And that's recycling at its best. So logically, a place like hell that is purported to be eternal that lacks life and supposedly has all the elements designed to extinguish life in the most awful ways, can't exist simply because it could not be self-perpetuating.
Again, eternity is a span of time beyond current mathematical understanding, but it is something that must exist in perpetuity. And something eternal cannot support continuous and utter failure, which is another way of seeing this. That which is eternal can only support success. So I'm using these terms here because life is often measured by its natural ability to be varied, organized, prolific, and easily sustained. In other words, successful. Whereas when something fails, that's it, game over. Perpetual failure cannot exist across the expanse of time simply because it is unsustainable by nature. Besides, the divine isn't interested in providing permanent torture for anyone. What type of loving divinity would do that to their own offspring? Would you do that to your child? And if not, then the notion that the divine would do it makes the divine less loving than you. And taking the divine out of it for a moment, why would a given dimension waste the resources on something that has no actual goal? That's not recycling. That's not making the best use out of its products. The universe is an efficient place. Our rudimentary understanding of space and time has already taught us that. So please put all such notions to rest. I think that the fear of hell and the fear of ceasing to exist upon death are largely responsible for the actual fear of death that most people have. Granted, we all want to ride the train of life as long as possible, but at some point, we must meet the inevitable. So why meet it with such fear? Miss Claudia, I am ready to take another call, honey. Thank you, Lisa. A lot of things to think. So we're going to go with Kathy, and she's from North Carolina. And thank you for your she Take my call. Hello, this is Kathy. Hey, Kathy, this is Sati. How are you? Hi, Sati. I'm pretty well. I'm, I'm not sure I have a clear question. I want more of your response and direction, I think. Um, number one, let me say I'm an only child. Number two, my father died in 1995. I had the gift of being very conscious of his transition and let's just say who was in the room. Okay. Um, right, 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 that, right. Yeah. I was told that he was going on to work with the thrones and principles and not to expect to hear from him. And that has been accurate. Uh, I've had a couple dreams of him where I felt he was very present, but that happens maybe once a year and he's been gone since 95. Um, but interestingly, it seems like he's showing up a little more often um, in my dreams. And my mother is 96, almost 97, and um, developing dementia uh, has been very strong, but losing orientation to place and time. Um, so just your thoughts and comments on what's happening here. <laughs> and, and how can I help my I mother? I got gotcha. uh, Yeah. Great. So your father is starting to um, think about his next lifetime. Um, and that's one of the reasons he's kind of revisiting things from his past, revisiting people okay. from his past, 
revisiting you. Um, And your mom, you know, boy, she is up there in age. God bless her. And normally, you know, that's amazing. That's wonderful. I understand, though, um, you said it was dementia, not Alzheimer's, correct? As far as I know. I mean, I'm I'm a mental health counselor. Yeah, yeah. Retired, so yeah. I mean, she, but right, I, I recognize right. her losing orientation. Right, right. So, well, it does come across to me as more dementia than Alzheimer's, so that's good. And we know that one can lead into the other sometimes too. So, I kind of wanted to just delineate that for a moment. But yeah. um, you know, your, your mother is also simultaneously getting ready to pass now. She's not passing anytime soon um, in, in what we might expect that statement to be, right? So if somebody right. says somebody's getting ready to pass, then you might think, oh, well, the next couple of months. And, you know, um, that would be kind of a, a shock because she wanted to do a little bit of what I will call a slow retreat. That means over a period of three years. Now, considering her age, you have to remember. That's a, that's a hundred. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. I don't know okay. that she'll make it. She'll come so close probably, but I don't think she'll make it. But you know what? She, you know, she's got such a will and such a fighting spirit. I mean, she really yeah. is, loves life. She really loves life. So, you know, Kathy, what I'm going to say is um, I think that the next couple of years are going to be intense for you. They're going to be intense for you from the standpoint of what's going on in the world, what's going on in the United States, what's going on in North Carolina, and what's going on with your mother. And I want to really put an an idea in your mind as the guides are showing me. They're showing me the word perseverance. And they want you to really embrace perseverance and tenacity as much as you can. A tenacious person, you know, picks themselves up every single time they have a blow. And I'm not saying that there's a lot of blows coming, but if, if things were to get hairy in the United States, and you were going through this dementia process and the exiting process with your mom, just that in and of itself could be enough to be hairy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that them saying these two words to you, um, not hairy, um, the, 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 the tenacious part, um, and, and um, yet. The other word that begins with a P that my mind is not pulling up at the moment. Um, But anyway, the the point I am making here is, I'm sorry? I said, is patience the other P word? Um, No, the the, the P word I gave you first from them, but I'm, I, I, they gave it to me and I moved on and so I lost it. Perseverance. Good girl. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Those two things should be your mantra. I have perfect perseverance. I am tenacious. All of this is 
gracious or gracefully met in me. That's what they're saying, you know, and then basically that means that you always rise and you stand like a willow. So, um, you know, that's their message to you today, honey. And, um, you you know, just say some prayers for your dad that he um, is able to understand what he needs to understand so that he can make his decisions for the next life. That's come, that's, that time is coming up for him. Okay. 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 Um, that helps. That gives me some clarity. And um, I guess is there my, – my question would be, is there any – of my personal resources and um, trainings that I need to focus on to help my mother. I think that you're going to find that that's going to evolve as things progress with her, that you're going to pull out a whole bunch of tools from your past toolbox and, you know, you're going to use different ones on different um, days But, you know, having her feel like she is still getting her needs met, um, that is really important. Um, For example, I had a friend who had a father with dementia at the end of his life, and he needed to count his money. So he he had a thing where he had to have, like, you know, a couple hundred dollars in his wallet, and he would wake up, and that was the very first thing he had to do. He, his day would go to pot if he was unable to count his money. So she made sure that he had that money in his wallet in the morning, and then she'd get rid of it during the afternoon when he forgot about it so that he didn't, like, lose it or waste it or whatever, right? And that was how he felt his needs were being met. It's silly to those of us on the outside looking in, but it was of enormous importance to him. And, you know, something like that could be something enormously important for her. So you'll find that it'll change over time. So just ride with the flow. Go with the flow. Okay. You have all that you need. You're going to be good. Okay. 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 Thank you very much, Saudi, and thank you, group, for this time. Thank you, Kathy. You're very welcome, Miss Kathy. And, Claudia, I'm going to continue on if that's okay. Um, I'm almost finished. And then I would like to take another call um, in a few moments. Yes. Is that okay? Excellent. All right. So let's tackle the concept of consciousness. This is kind of a toughie because science can't verify much about consciousness what it really actually is or from where it arises. Science can't really explain eternity either, yet it can surmise the nature of eternity as being self-perpetuating, expansive, and resilient because it would have to be these things and more in order to qualify as being eternal. So what about consciousness? We know it's about awareness and the ability to respond to one's environment. We know that humans have it because we consider ourselves self-aware, which used to be the main definition. Now we know consciousness exists to varying degrees across a wide swath of countless things. 
It exists in us to varying degrees also. And we know that we can practice consciousness to become more conscious, or we can quash it and become less conscious. We know that it's a key element of what humans often value in life, even though it's not required for life to exist. Take the mollusk or the oyster, for example. It's an animal. Is it not? A muscle. It lives in a shell. But it breathes. It secretes gas. It pumps blood with its three-chambered heart. And it even has a nervous system. Did you know that? I didn't know that until I looked it up. So it's totally cool. But is it conscious? What about a tree? Well, we know via mycelia and other fungi that trees actually communicate with, aid, and protect each other. So should we consider them as being conscious? What about a rock? It exists, but is it alive like a tree or a mollusk? Could it also be conscious to some degree? Humans tend to separate things of value as either being alive or not by being conscious or not. And then we treat those things according to the morals formed for inanimate objects and those with consciousness. Yet, we didn't get it right with trees. J.R.R. Token did when he envisioned the ants in his stories. But as far as I know, he's the only one to write about the consciousness of trees in story. Okay, so humans are conscious. But does that consciousness extend beyond death? Most psychics and those who explore the paranormal believe it does because we deal with such aspects every day. We just simply can't prove it yet. For example, we all know that ghosts seem to be able to attach to things like a house or a rail station, a street, a grove of trees, etc. Sometimes to people or circumstances, for example, a certain life event that they experience then over and over. We know that these souls haven't yet left the earth plane and sometimes either are stuck or want to remain here for some reason. Despite what the movies imply, usually ghosts can be made to leave or will eventually leave on their own once the reason for staying is satisfied. Back in Colorado Springs, in an old Victorian building or house that I used to rent office space in for my psychic business, there was a little boy who had previously lived in that house in the late 1890s or so. One day he got a fever. His mother kept telling him that he couldn't leave the house. He couldn't go out to play. He couldn't leave the house because he was too sick. So when he ended up dying there, he wouldn't leave the house. He was the sweet little thing who liked to stack books, no lie, and mess with the communal coffee pot. But once I found him in the house and found where he was actually attached to the house, I called him in his guides and convinced him that it was time for him to move on. Afterwards, 
I honestly think that the other human renters of that house were a bit sad over the loss of fun book stacking we would find every so often. <laughs> that was just crazy. Some souls easily travel interdimensionally when they know how and can spend a long time in other dimensions. I know this to be true because my personal master teacher, whom I've worked with for many lifetimes, told me that he was going to leave our dimension for another one about 15 years ago. Since then, I every so often feel a remote kind of like tingle of his energy, far more infrequently than I'd really like, because I think he really is gone from this universal reality or this dimension, and I miss him terribly. I also work with my guides and my master teachers. Every time I come to do a reading, every time I come to do the radio show, and they show up, sometimes in a whole bunch, like a lot, sometimes one or two. It all depends. I have seen many, many relatives that have passed on. I have this fun story of my um, grandmother-in-law who had passed away. And one night I was sleeping. This was probably a year or so after she had passed away. And my father-in-law came to visit me. He opened up the roof of the room where I was sleeping. I was dreaming that I was sleeping. And he opened up the roof and brought in a bunch of relatives um, and these were people that I had never met before um, that were of my family, my husband's family. And um, anyway, he brought with him my past, my deceased mother-in-law. Now, my father-in-law at this point was also deceased. And I was like, oh, well, hey, Grandma Margaret. So nice to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. And I was happy to see my father-in-law, Joe, but I didn't know the other five people that were there. So my father-in-law started introducing people, which later I verified with my mother-in-law, who was like totally freaked out by this because she didn't believe in life after death, not like this. And, and she was just totally freaked by this whole situation. But anyway, the story is fun. So I continue. My grandmother-in-law in the meantime, starts cackling and laughing hysterically, like she is enjoying this joke, whatever it is, so much. And I said to her, Grandma Margaret, what are you laughing about? And she said, oh, Dean, my husband's brother, he made me laugh so hard at my funeral, she said, oh, my God, it was the funniest thing. Now, I have to stop and say, that I was not at the funeral. I was unable to go back. It was a time in life when my husband and I didn't have very much money. So we didn't get to go to this particular funeral. I will continue. She's like, oh my God, it was the funniest thing at my funeral. And I said, what was? And she said, Dean, my husband's brother. The shoes he was wearing that was the funniest thing I ever saw in my life. Oh, that made me laugh so hard. That was all she said. So after the dream, 
And I was telling my mother-in-law all about this the next morning and all the people that were there. And she was verifying these people that I had never met before and never seen pictures of. And I said, you know, your mom was totally going crazy over this situation with Dean and his shoes. Now, he was a pallbearer, and I didn't know this. So he was one of the ones that was bringing in the casket. So... My mom was like, my mother-in-law was like, I have no idea what she was talking about. That makes no sense to me. But she went and she asked Dean. And Dean says to her, well, he goes, yeah, don't you remember? I totally was so, I had to get there so quickly and help you with things. He's like, that I forgot my shoes. And the only shoes that I could wear was a pair of dad's old bowling shoes. So he's like, here I am, the pallbearer, wearing dad's old bowling shoes. Well, of course, my mother-in-law wouldn't have remembered that because she was grief-stricken by the loss of her mother who died right around the time that her husband died, my father-in-law. So, you know, that was a very tough time for her. After that, she was so happy to hear that these souls were still alive, that they went on, their consciousness was still there. She absolutely, it changed everything. And she would say to me, you know, Joe came and sat on the bed next to me yesterday. I felt his presence. I can't believe it, but I did. It still gives me chills to think of because just that one thing changed her life and made me just so happy to have been part of that. So here are just a few things that the guide said in conclusion before I'll take uh, the last couple of calls. They say we are all energy and energy never dies or ends, although it can be recycled, which would take us into reincarnation. But I'm going to also leave that for a future radio show. The guides say consciousness is best used is best used to our advantage. And it is best used to our advantage when we learn to grow beyond rope patterns and conditioning in order to find a better way forward. The guides also say that death is gentle, non-judgmental, supportive, and a slow-moving or flowing space that has no quote-unquote pushing. I found that really kind of interesting. I don't know quite what they mean by that, but I'm giving it to you verbatim as they said it to me. They then said, it is like entering the soul, being the soul again. So, all is possible and all are welcome to the afterlife, or the soul, of course, which contains multidimensional worlds that exist beyond all concepts of opposites, meaning love and hate, right and wrong, etc. And that has many spaces of infinite peace and creativity, childlike innocence, and sweet dreams. And the guides then finalized by saying, what does it mean to die well? Well, they said, to not be bound, to not be held to a certain place, a certain way, or a certain thing or person or a certain idea. 
to simply let go in the most graceful way. So there you go. I hope that all of this gives you guys like tons and tons and tons to think about. And in the meantime, while you're starting to think of those things, I'd like to take the last couple of callers if I could. Yes. And we're going to bring Pat from Connecticut. Pat? Hello, Pat. I've worked with Pat before. I wonder if she she had to go. Or if she's no, off she's somewhere there. doing Pat, something else. I cannot hear you. Can you unmute yourself, Pat, from Connecticut? Okay, so when she comes back, we can go either to Alabama or California. We have a 909 number. And so where do you want to go? Uh, Alabama sounds great. Okay, Patricia? Hi, thank you, ladies, so much for taking my call. Hey, hey Patricia. Um, of course. Hi. The show has been um, um, so beautiful, um, especially the afterlife. Oh, my God. It just sounds like what we have been taught, at least I have, for many, many years that um, life beyond here is simply just beautiful. And so that's why it is a homegoing celebration because we are celebrating the new life in the afterlife. So thank you so much for such a beautiful explanation of such. Um, I don't know. Thank you. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. I I really enjoyed enjoyed it. Um, I just my question is, I know God has. I don't even know if I need to ask this, um, because God give us so many different messages and signs, and you know, um, we are still just eager to want to know more. Um, so I. My uncle um, and my family is in a battle um, to get him back united with us. He was removed from his resident back in February due to exportation, and we thought the entity was helping us to eliminate that problem and quickly reunite him back with us, but what they did was, in fact, concocted the whole thing, and now we're actually fighting to reunite him back with the family. And so um, we have a hearing um, on the 26th of this month, a guardianship in the state judiciary court. Um, The doctors are basically refusing to give us what we need to accomplish that, which is a mentally incapacitate um, letter. They're basically saying, um, oh, by the way, he's capacitated when it comes to him reuniting with you all, his family. But when it comes to having a fiduciary and other people being over his money in a state, he's incapacitated like he's been for about 40 years. So I just want to know what do you see 
um, as far as the outcome, um, and will we reunite, reunite with him in time for the holidays? He's never been away from family, and he's been taken care of by family since he um, left World War II. He's 75 years young, and so um, he has been taken care of by family since injury out of, you know, when he came out of the out of the out of um, I'm sorry, out of the um, service when he was discharged, he's been with family all of his natural life, and for these people to do this has been so traumatic on the whole family. I couldn't even begin to explain. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I am so sorry to hear that you've been going through this. Um, it, it's it, it just sounds like an awful situation. Um, and I am really sorry for your uncle and what he is suffering. But I do want to tell you that, yes, um, actually, the interesting thing is I pulled a card on it while you were talking. Sometimes I pull cards. Sometimes I ask the guides of all the tens. But I pulled a card on it, and the card that I got was unity. <laughs> oh. Right. <laughs> That made, me, that made me kind of <laughs> giggle a little bit. Um, so, yes. you know, I'm going to say that he's definitely going to be returned to you, to your family. Um, and I totally believe that it will happen before Christmas. Um, it seems like once everything happens with the courts, it won't be too long after that because it'll kind of go quickly. So like the the longest period of time of dealing with all of this is getting to court. But then once everything is said and done in court, then everything kind of moves pretty quickly. So, you know, from my perspective, he could be home. Um, But I'm Uh. going to go ahead and say, um, that, you know, definitely by the beginning of December. And, um, yeah. yeah, I'm really sorry that he's been going through all of this. It must be very hard. I can't imagine that he was in World War II, though. He would be way too young if he's only 75. Most of the World War Twoers were much older than that. Maybe, maybe I heard that wrong. Um, well, I, I would say growing up, I was thinking and told and maybe I just all of my life maybe just through conversations that you know you probably didn't have any business in there listening to anyway I thought that it was World War Two that he was in I would maybe have to check because again he's much much older than I but I remember visiting in Ohio um, when he first come home um my my his brother my late father family lived in Ohio and we would go for the summers and I do remember maybe 8 um years old going and at that time he was not himself but he was a young man I bet and um right I yes 
it's coming across so to me that he was in an Asian tour. So that would be probably like uh, Vietnam or um, the Korean War, something like that. Okay. Um, but yes. nonetheless, it doesn't matter. Um, the only reason I, I say anything about it is because, like, my father was in World War II, my father, my actual father, and he has passed, and most of the people have passed from that World War because that was like they would have been in their 90s, their late 90s by now but um anyway no worries none whatsoever he totally served his com- his country and you know a lot of people came back from those wars those two wars um vietnam in particular really messed up like stuff that happened over there really really did a number on them so i i would think that was probably more like where he was but anyway nonetheless happy days are coming for you and your Mm. family and I'm so glad that I get to tell you that oh my god I thank God for you this morning Um, I thank God for absolutely you know um, for having me to call in to receive the message I know that that is his way of Given the message, and it is through people, through songs, um, all different types of ways, through numbers. I see a lot of secrecy. And you're probably right, Vietnam does maybe sound more like it. Um, he was actually in um, in uh, building in communication, so whatever, um, as I can remember it, it was um, a some type of uh, bombing or something that happened, but it was the chemicals that they were exposed to um, that yeah. caused his injuries. And um, oh, uh, yeah, it, it looks to me like a lot of nervous system stuff. But yes, Miss Claudia. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. We heard a noise, and I thought we lost you. Oh well, I'm sorry. I I know. Um, I know we probably um are way over time. Um, did we have anyone else today that we needed to speak with before I was done? Anybody? Yeah, favorite? I have only Pat, but um, I was trying to cut her in. Let me see if she answers. Pat, are you there? Pat. She's not answering, and I don't know why, but I I sent her an email, and she can call back next month, no problem. Yes, she can. Okay. Well, then, I am so thankful that I got to work with everybody today that I had to work with. I am grateful for the opportunity to have been here today and to speak with you all about death and the afterlife. I hope that... Like our Alabama friend, you all will be able to leave feeling a lot lighter and um, more happy or at least uh, more peaceful about the idea of how things will go whenever our time comes, right? Thank you, Ms. Claudia. It's been an amazing Friday the 13th. And everybody in the United States, please enjoy safely the eclipse tomorrow and get ready for some big change. All right, Miss Claudia, thank you so much, honey. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Remember, go to seekingdivinity.com for a longer reading 
and more services with SATI. Goodbye. Thanks, Sunny. Bye. Thank you.